This is Paul Walter Hauser, and you're watching Pro Wrestling for Lions. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Pro Wrestling for Life. Had a great show today. Nick Hausman's here to tell you what's on it. Yes, yes, it's me, Nick, and I have a, a great lineup here for you today on Pro Wrestling for Life. I should say we have a great lineup for you here today on Pro Wrestling for Life. We're going Hollywood. Yes, our big guest here today. We talked to him for nearly an hour. You probably know him from Cruella, uh, Black Klansman, Itania, Cobra Kai. He is noted pro wrestling fan, Paul Walter Hauser in the house here today, man. And I absolutely love getting the chance to get you two together. You guys were marking out for each other throughout this conversation, Sean. Yeah, apparently we got got together one other time that I completely spaced out. So <laughs> may have been you'll some, hear about it in the interview. May have been some smoke in the air. Uh, also, later on, uh, after you hear from uh, Sean, Paul, and I, uh, we're going to hear from our friend, uh, WrestleNomics business analyst, Brandon Thurston, here to talk the business of the business, all things uh, viewership numbers, merchandise numbers, uh, ticket sales, everything in between. Uh, we're going to have Brandon and Paul here today. Uh, but before we get to those uh, great conversations, uh, let's uh, break it down with some news you can use, news to leave a bruise. Uh, Sean, uh, this past weekend we had Extreme Rules. Monday night, of course, we had uh, Monday Night Raw. I know there was one particular bout that really grabbed your attention. Uh, that was AJ Styles and Riddle. Uh, what did you think of these two uh, getting to share the ring on Monday night? I mean, it's it was... It was a great match. It was a really good TV match. And, um, I mean, it, there was other great match, good stuff on there, too. I want to say great, but, like, you know, people throw great around. Like, to say something's good should be good enough, too, sometimes, right? Like, good is not bad. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? When somebody says good, like, well, it wasn't great. Well, mate, I, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, but it was a good – it was good stuff. Uh, Priest and Sheamus, man, those guys go out there and kill it. Um, let me see what else. I really enjoyed. I'm just gonna. I'm just spewing everything out. That sure, I, whatever. That's uh, fine. Yeah. Um, uh, the the live remote they did with Goldberg. I think he did a really good job on that. You know. Um, I just I liked what he said. Yeah, it, it, he, it sounded authentic. Yeah, he said he was gonna murder. He's gonna kill. I didn't like that part. No. Other than that, it was that was a little much to me. That was like it could have done without that. Other than that, yeah, because I mean, are we really gonna fucking kill somebody? Fuck out of here. I I was a uh, I was very thrown by the maybe I'll get lucky and kill you line. I agree with you though. The intensity's there, and it's nice too. I feel like that this match. I think I think fans would have resented Goldberg Lashley had it been for the title for for a couple reasons, but the fact that it's just gonna be a personal a issue. Right, yeah, I think it's enough for everybody to go out there and probably have a good time with these two, right? Sure, yeah, and especially like if they got to do something uh, in Saudi Arabia, like yeah, put it on that. Yeah, for sure. And now with Riddle and AJ though, like Riddle, man, this guy—I haven't seen anybody make the transition from NXT to the main roster like this guy. I mean, he has come over, really hasn't lost anything that made him cool in NXT, and has really kind of found his groove I, I mean just talk to me a little bit about what you think of the work I, riddle's done I, I to me i think there was a rough start there when he first got brought up man. oh like, great. vince didn't get him like you know uh yeah it's great now and i knew like you know eventually like things would work themselves out with him 
he's just too freaking talented. You know, uh, he's just got, he just brings too much to the table for them to squander. Um, but yeah, no, um, you know, man, I've been a, a big proponent of uh, Matt Riddle since way before he ever came to NXT even. So, yeah. you know, I mean, I trained with him at the, you know, would go to the monster factory and work out with those guys, him and him and priest, both of those guys, obviously I talk about, you know, quite a bit. So um yeah man they both done great like i honestly like you're talking about guys that have done well moving up to the main roster damian priest has done way better not that he didn't do great in nxt you know they gave him a north american title reign but like i knew he was much uh he was made for the main roster more more so than nxt as far as i'm concerned oh yeah man he carries himself like a star he looks great with that title too right now um, you know, and Riddle's, of course, got a, got some gold of his own. You know, both of these guys uh, I've heard bandied about, you know, because they just announced the Royal Rumble. It's going to be in St. Louis uh, coming up here. I, I forget if it was late January, early February. I'd have to go check the exact date. But both of these guys I've heard people say uh, could possibly be the winners this year. They would enjoy watching them chase like maybe a top heel into WrestleMania. Do you think it's too early for either of those guys to, t- to win a Royal Rumble match? No. No? No, I don't. No. Yeah. And I see I – see- I see that. Um, I think they do it with Priest. Like honestly, man, I think he's got huge upside. Like, like obviously, <laughs> right? Yeah, obviously. Sure. So, like anyone can say that now after he's already, you know, has a bit of a track record to stuff with Bad Bunny and just, yeah, man. Like he, every, like every time he's been given the ball, he has, you know run for yards or, or scored a touchdown. Like he's never fumbled, not once. And so, yeah, man. Um, yeah. It, it'll be interesting because both these guys were set up to look, you know, Riddle didn't come out on top, but he still looked very strong hanging with AJ and there's, oh, yeah. you know, nothing there. Uh, no harm there, you know, but we're on the, we're on, we're going into the draft starts this Friday, goes into Monday. I feel like there were a lot of talents on Monday night that were put out there to, to look strong or get a vibe. You know, we kind of saw, them playing with do we want to make charlotte i thought like a baby face or a heel kind of the way she was presented at point we had drew mcintyre coming out at the end you know for this big baby face stare down you know with him and biggie it was very nice yeah it was good yeah because you know it wasn't a yay boot like it was like two big stars you know and people like both of them and you know i liked the good guy bad guy scenario but like the two big star versus each other scenario is great too. So you don't you don't think that Drew you don't think either of these guys needs to turn if they're going to do no. it? No, no, man, no, no, fuck no, 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 man, no. Like yeah, like okay, um, Roman needed to make a turn, right, right, and he finally did, and it's been the best thing he's ever fucking done, right? right? Like it was the best thing he like best movie made in his career long time i think or right. ever like because i mean he's just on a whole new level you know right. whole nother level but um yeah uh, what was i saying You're, I, was asking, <laughs> I was just I was, asking, fucking I, was asking, I was asking about drew or biggie yeah, yeah no man why would you do that I, I you know i don't well with drew it's like he's been kind of in this baby face space here for a while i don't know if you want to play with that you know he's not on top right now but with Big E, I mean, he cashed in money in the bank on an injured Lashley. The New Day were the ones to attack 
you know, uh, in, in the opening bout there with Lashley. They're the ones that it, it wasn't the hurt business that attacked Big E there. I thought that was a little weird. I, I don't know if my tinfoil hats maybe tied a little too tight, but I see, little, I, I see little heel teases there from time to time with Big E in the New Day at the moment. Yeah, I don't see it, dude. Okay. Honestly, okay. it's just people are, you know, aggressive. All you right. Know? Um, they, you know, like, yeah, that's, I don't, I don't, I, it's not something I fucking noticed at all. All right. I fine. Just, honestly. Um, and sometimes we don't need a good guy, bad guy. I'm just a fan of having it, you know, but uh, you just let the people, you know, let the chips fall where they may. You know, people, some people are going to cheer Big, Big E, some people are going to cheer Drew. You know, um, I mean, are they doing that soon? What, the, the, the Big E Drew feud? Yeah. I wonder, right? They're, because I had seen Drew was advertised for a match with Roman this Friday night on SmackDown, and there was rumors maybe he was going over there. But I don't know why you would tease Drew in Big E like that unless you were going to deliver on it. Yeah, I Maybe they're just, you know, uh, testing the waters. Okay. It could be, honestly, man, it could be that simple. You know, probably not, but it could be. This episode of Pro Wrestling for Life is brought to you by Roman. That's right. Look, no one's perfect. You know, even the best basketball players, they're going to miss the hoop, right? And good golfers, sometimes they're going to three-putt on the green. And if you feel like you are coming up a little short in the bedroom, well, that's okay. Because if it's bothering you, there are options, and you could go to GetRoman.com slash Xbox. That's right. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, Nick. All the comfort, all from the comfort. It's a good read. It's good. Your own <laughs> Nick, here's the thing. Like I was telling you before, man, I, I never need anything like this. I'm very manly. Um, never had a problem in my entire life getting it up. No. But, oh. but I'm getting older, you know, and Got a little prostate issues, and it really helps with that. That's the real reason why I'm taking it. <laughs> of course, yeah. And you know what? Uh, a U.S. licensed healthcare professional, they're going to work with you to find your best treatment plan, Sean. So if medication is appropriate, which sounds like maybe the case for you, it it's going to ship to you for free, and it's going to ship with two-day shipping. That's right. And getting started is simple, Nick. Just go to at roman.com slash xpoc and complete the online visit take care of your ed without leaving home complete an online visit today to connect with the doctor and take care of it nick yeah you just gotta go to get roman.com slash xpoc now and you're gonna get 15 dollars off your first month look there's a straightforward way to take care of your ed and that is going to get roman.com slash X-Pac to get $15 off your first month, Sean. Hey, really, there's no, you can't really put a price on uh, pleasing your partner in the bedroom. You no. really can't, man. Like, no. like, all, like kidding aside, like I talked about, you know, oh, I never needed this before. Man, hey, even if you don't really need it, need it, like, man, it can't, it can't hurt. <laughs> no, no, it definitely doesn't. Just, to, you know, for a fun night around the house, you yeah. know, go to GetRoman.com slash X-Pac. And again, you're going to get started now using GetRoman.com slash XPOC. And you're going to get, and I know you can't put a price on it, but getting $15 off your first month of treatment, that's not a bad deal. That also helps. Well worth it.
Hey, Roman, thank you for sponsoring Pro Wrestling for Life. Hey, man, are you in, uh, where are you? Are you in Atlanta? I'm in New Orleans right New now. Orleans. House rental. I've been here about six months and I've been shooting this limited series for Apple. And it's like, oh, yeah. uh, it's like a true crime thing. It's about the serial killer named Larry Hall. And uh, he confessed to, I think, a dozen or 14 maybe uh, murders and rapes and, and kidnap scenarios. And what happened was he, he, the evidence wasn't enough to keep him behind bars. There wasn't enough there which is insane, but, you know, the system, the broken system. And uh, they sent this guy named Jimmy Keenan, who was a drug dealer in Chicago, quite a successful one. And he went undercover, kind of like The Departed or Mississippi Burning, yeah. and went and befriended this serial killer just to get a uh, forced confession out of him and then use it to keep him behind bars. So, I mean, it is a really cool cat and mouse slow burn character driven thriller type of show and it's only a uh, limited series i don't think they'll be doing more seasons but it'll are be you the lead are you play the lead uh i'm the serial killer and yeah. edgerton from kingsman and rocket man plays the uh drug dealer guy uh okay so okay all right you you play you always play like these really nice guys paul yeah. certainly not people that you know not always not always. No, I, I just, you know what it is, you guys? It's that thing of being a character actor. You know what I mean? It's not that a guy like, well, even you, Sean, like if, if you were in the acting game full time, you, if someone looked at you, they would think you're a handsome guy, but you're also not classically handsome. Neither am I. You know, we have like our own look. We have an right. identity visually. And so you kind of get tapped to play these seedy characters sometimes. And I've, to be honest, they're a lot more fun than playing the straight and narrow. I mean, yeah. I, if you offer me a guy with four kids who is an usher at his church, and then if you offer me the guy who robs the church, I'm going to play the robber for sure. Right. Hey, yeah. man. So we're recording already, but okay. for anyone for anyone that's been under a rock or hasn't been watching great movies for the past ten years, uh, Paul Walter Hauser is joining us, and like he was just talking about being a character actor. And legitimately, and I'm not saying this just because you're here with us right now, but you're legitimately like one of the greatest character actors in all of, all entertainment right now, in my Thank opinion. I, I, I don't think uh, pretty much tons of people agree with me on that. Thank you, dude. I really appreciate it. I I, I really, um, you know, I, I know I'm not going to be Michael Jordan, but I'm trying to be like the greatest Ron Harper, Tony Kukoc I right. could possibly be. And uh, if someday I, I out dribble Jordan dope, maybe someday, but, but right now it's really about trying to perfect what, what is a small forward or a power forward? What is a sixth man? And, and I, I like doing it, you know, I yeah. enjoy it. We all have that ego in us. That's like, you know, you know what it's like. Do you want to, do you want to be fighting mid card or do you want to be the guy with 30 minutes at the end of the night? We, you know, we all want that, but, uh, but I'm grateful to have this placement. It's pretty, pretty cool. Nice. So, cause like, you know, and not, you know, I mean, obviously this shows about wrestling, but I'm kind of a mark for your work. So <laughs> I'm a mark too. we'll go back and forth. So, yeah, but like the odd, like, dude, you get, 
you, you, you sink yourself into these characters, man. And like a lot of people play, you know, uh, they play roles, but they're just themselves. Like, right. Like, I mean, it's just them. And it's just, you just, it's totally different, man. Like, I don't want to get too far into it, but no, I appreciate it. I think like, I think there are people that I watch like Owen Wilson where I, yeah. I love watching this guy. Like, I just like watching him even in a bad movie. He's entertaining. And I think that's what a movie star is. I think a movie star is somebody who shows up and you're just like, hell yeah, I like you. I think, I think I'm cut from a little bit of a, a, a dirtier rag or cloth that, that wants to really do some different stuff. Yeah. You know, when I saw Gary Oldman do True Romance, I might have been 16, 17 years old. But I remember thinking, that's the same guy from Air Force One and Dracula. And, and I was like, my JFK. God. JFK. Everything, man. Sid and Nancy, you know, but it's that. Yeah, but you're up. Like, I, I look at you, not to interrupt, but I'm sorry. I'm really bad about that. But when, when you say Gary Oldman, I look at you in that same light. You're up there with him, in my opinion. I almost did a movie with him. I had a crazy moment where uh, a buddy of mine, Gary Fleeter, who directed me in some TV shows, he uh, he offered me a movie with Gary Oldman and John Leguizamo called The Bayou. Wow. And I was so excited because I'm like, holy shit, I'm going to work with Gary. Gary's one of the, the greats. I mean, I think most folks would put him up there with like, like I think people put him up there with like Meryl Streep and Denzel. Like, I think he's up there. But... Uh, the movie, like financing, got cut, or the producers started fighting, and it never happened. But I did get to like go to a, like a little diner and sit down with Gary in a booth with the director, and like even talking to the guy for ten minutes or whatever it was. Like that was so so cool. I was, I still mark out for all those guys, you know. Yeah, like, I still, like honestly, and I became friends with a lot of people that I grew up idolizing. They were my heroes, uh, but I still do too, man. I'm not going to lie. When can't I see certain it. people, I just can't help it. I can't you know? help it. I don't think it's a bad thing so long as it doesn't weird anybody out. I mean, right. I I don't think it weirds people out. You know what I mean? I don't <laughs> I don't think yeah. it weirds anybody out. No, not at all. Just <laughs> I don't have one of yours to show anybody. <laughs> I literally travel with toys cuz they like when I'm far from home and I'm sick of a job and I'm like, ugh. Like something about it grounds me and reminds yeah. me we're all we're all children, we're all little kids. Like we're, hey, hey Paul, kills shit out. You you grew up in Grand Rapids. I was born there. Grew up in Saginaw, Michigan, which is oh, actually, but still Michigan. Yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of a wrestling area in the sense that you know our big claims to fame in your world were uh, RVD, Kevin Nash, say, uh, okay, Steiner Brothers. You know, I yeah. used to. I used to take little wrestling classes when I was like 11 years old at this place in Bay city, Michigan. And the big thing was you walk in and they got a picture of Rick and Scott and, and you're like, why is their last name? Not Steiner. And you're just uh, like going away. You can't believe that you're that's breaker. Yeah. You can't believe you're in the place that they trained. Unfortunately, I was not, I didn't have a killer instinct at a young age. I had the size yeah. and the desire, but I was kind of a shitty athlete cause I couldn't take the pain, which, uh, which is a you know that that yeah that's a that could be an issue in this industry. Yeah, it's part of it. It's part now. It's yeah. different now. I've seen Bad Bunny, Stephen Amell, and I'm like, get out of my way, dude. I'm gonna lose the weight. I'm gonna work with trainers, yeah. and even if I only do it once, you better believe I'm coming for the Bad Bunny title of best celebrity match. Do it, man. 
So, you saw you saw Rob Funches the other week, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. That's how I met you, man. We met years ago at that movie theater where you guys did the the smoke and weed wrestling thing. Oh, we were at the Get same. Get the fuck then. out of here! You were there, dude. You and I smoked weed together. We shared like a blunt or a vape, oh but it was only for like two minutes. My buddy Keith Blomberg is a big marijuana advocate. Yeah. Uh, he was at the time. I don't know what he does now. And then. He he used to video, video everything wrestling. He used to be there at every event with a camera, getting interviews and doing wrestling documentaries. So he brought me as a guest, and there's footage somewhere. You'd have to ask him, but there's footage of us like smoking together in that back nice area. Yeah. Oh, no. Wow, man. Shit. Now I kind of wonder if I maybe smoked <laughs> weed with you guys. I don't know. I was at that yeah. show as well. So hey, those were fun, huh? Did you enjoy it? Oh, we had a blast. You were there with your uh, your dog and, and Ron, and we laughed our heads off. It was the best. It was the best, man. And I recently, I recently heard something about you, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but we're chatting. I heard something about you uh, getting back in the ring soon. Is that, is that, um, is that bullshit, or is that going to happen, do you think? Uh, it's, it seems like it's going to happen, Paul. Um, I hope so, you know, man. We're, like, yeah. we're all dying to see it, but we also Thanks. want you to do your thing and do it when you're ready. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, like, you know, I'm not just taking it lightly. It's because it's been a few years since I've been in there. And uh, and so I, I'm going to make sure I'm, I'm healthy before I jump back in, you know. Um, and so, uh, you know, I just – abundance of caution, but at the same time, man, I, I – I might as well still do it while I can. If I can do it good, yes. I can do it good. I mean, look so. at look at look at Stinger. Look at Steve Borden. That guy is he in pain right now? Hell yeah, he's in pain. But he knows he can schlep it if he doesn't do it too often. Yeah. You know, if he makes it an occasional seasonal attraction. So even in that regard, I, I bet you could do it really successfully, even a few times a year, and everybody. Sure. Would bug out and love it man that'd be awesome yeah as long as i can still do my signature things yeah i'll, I'll be okay that, that, i love that jump the single foot jump kick what is that called they're in That's the toolbox the remember and you're oh yeah yeah no i don't have a name for it but it was I just that man yeah. that was great <laughs> and uh the spin heel kick is one of the most underutilized moves in wrestling you see 700 guys and gals do the super kick but nobody does the spin heel kick much anymore you know what? You know who? Um, get it. Uh, Sabio Vega. Like I, I patterned my, I patterned my spinning crescent kick after his because he was doing it to me every night. And then when, when I wasn't yeah. working with it anymore, I stole it. <laughs> I love it. I love, I love you. Sabio had a great one, and then Owen, of course, did one too, right? Yeah, Man. yeah. Owen's was like honestly, you know, like uh, Owen's wasn't the greatest. I'm not gonna lie. He was great at just about everything, but. I love spin kicks weren't very good. I will, if we don't give them the spinning heel, you got to give them credit on the belly to belly. That the belly best to belly to belly ever. That was amazing. Right? Nobody does it like that anymore. That was oh, yeah. great. The other guy does all the work. I imagine the moment you make contact at homeboy, you just got to jump and tuck your head, right? I mean, that's everything. Yeah. I yeah. mean, he was he did a lot of the work. I just, you know, like you said, just tuck my head. Man, I loved working with him, Paul. Oh, my God, man. The chemistry. So, but I got not to get off the uh, Owen thing, but like Owen is technically, in my opinion, like better than 
anyone else in the Hart family. It's just Brett took it more serious, you know? Yeah, I really, I really agree. I love Brett. I still love Brett, but I thought Owen was the most talented. Yeah. And, you know, you see all these guys and gals transitioning to entertainment too in the, in the facets of acting world or, you know, podcast. Imagine what all Owen would have done in the world of social media. If he liked pulling ribs and pranks and just having a sense of humor. And (laughs) another thing Owen did was, you know, he would engage with fans in a weirdly intimate way. He'd stay on their couches and shit. So (laughs) imagine, imagine him in the days of 2021, he'd be like, He'd be like what Shia LaBeouf did where he just like let people come talk to him with a bag on his head. Right. I would be out there like doing crazy cool stuff. And even though we're robbed of that and that sucks, I, I think uh, heaven earned a pretty special guy. Absolutely. Yeah, Owen, I- Owen and Mick were very, Owen and Mick Bowley, very much similar in utilizing the, the fan base. I love it. Yeah, dude, I could tell, I could go off on some stories about Owen where he brought me along with him on one of his car rides with, with one of the fans. Oh, you got to tell, you got to tell. Holy shit, Paul. All right, all right, real quick. Do you want me to tell it, Nick? Yeah, I would love for you to tell it. Yes, I would love so, to hear it. So yeah. this dude's name was Paul also, by the way. And um, and so Paul's driving Owen, and Owen invites me along for the trip. But what Paul doesn't tell everybody was that he decided he's going to bring his girlfriend along too. And uh so, like, anyways, we're just amusing ourselves, and we're, like, in the back seat, and he's got the girlfriend in the front seat, you know. Um, anyways, like, I'm tapping on the side, on the door, and, it, like, he thinks there's something wrong with the tire, and he gets out. And, anyways, eventually, we had him pulling over a few times, and, like, he actually ripped a piece of plastic molding off his car because he thought it was bumping into the tire, and... Yeah, it was a little bit heavy. Oh my God, it was funny. This guy's giving so, you guys a ride, and you're messing with them the entire. Oh yeah, <laughs> it wasn't as bad as it sounded. It this was the, the thrill of his life, though. Probably the, he was probably yeah. looking in the back of the car, going, "What the hell am I doing?" It wasn't as bad as it like. But anyways, the best part is this: we 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 check into this hotel, Paul, and it's an older like New, New England like one story. It doesn't. I don't even think it has two stories. But we check in and. Owen and I are healing a room and means we're sharing a room and uh, it's a connecting, like, you know how they have the, the, the rooms connected with a door. Oh yeah. And the door was open. So opened it and it was the honeymoon suite next door, <laughs> you know, with the hot tub and all that shit. Right. So like we got on the phone and uh, Owen gets on the phone and tells the guy, Paul, yeah, man, the hot, hot it's honeymoon suite. And, you know so paul gets in his idea he's gonna go in there and bring his girlfriend in there and so he brings his girlfriend in there and they're you know and they're doing their thing and owen gets on the phone and calls the room with the with the funny accent uh like he's the the front desk guy and that you know the 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 honeymoon couple's here for their suite and you guys are in their suite and you know um (laughs) oh yeah anyways big old thing happened and so i was, should i even tell this part uh, it's kind of a dick right for me to in the that. current climate <laughs> speak my friend no, like, before you speak yeah for yeah. sure but um so i ran to the store which was like literally across the street and bought some eggs and i egged this car on the on the on the windshield 
and wrote a note and said, thank you for ruining our fucking honeymoon, you piece of shit. <laughs> and the guy fucking <laughs> That was he Owen. never fucking had a clue. That had to be Owen's idea. Good God. Uh, oh, wow. yeah. But that the, dude, you made their lives. Like you may have pranked and messed with them or whatever, but yeah, it was that, I mean they get to tell that story the rest of their lives, which is amazing. Yeah, we were over in Japan one time, Paul. Uh um Owen had a really hard time sleeping. And and so Owen and I were up and uh just kept calling J.J. Dillon's room over and over and over again all Why night. J.J. Dillon, of all people. And then we're in the pool downstairs at like 7 in the morning, and here comes J.J. with these bags under his eyes, and it was just hilarious. So there's dude, there's a whole book that needs to be written on that shit. But, Paul, hey, man, um, what what was your big, like, big wrestling that you liked when, when you were a kid growing up in oh, man. Saginaw? So I was born in 1986. I first watched wrestling the very first time when I was probably four or five. I had an, I have an uncle Robert who was based in New Jersey, then Florida. So his wrestling territory was a little more uh, NWA WCW than, than uh, Connecticut WWE. So he, a first wrestling thing I ever saw was a clash of the champions when I was four or five. And I vividly remember like Jushin Thunder Liger, El Gigante, Arn Anderson, just the imagery of like the fact that El Gigante looked like a giant, Jushin Thunder Liger looked like a cartoon to me, and then Arn Anderson just looked like somebody's angry dad. Right. It like it was just the mesh of all of those personalities in one contentious setting that captured my imagination. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's dumping your bucket of toys on the ground. You just grab a dinosaur and a princess and a cowboy and you're like ready to tell a story. And so I think that was the, what sucked me in. And then in the early, the mid nineties, I just became obsessed. I'm talking every freaking toy I could. And keep in mind these toys, these action figures, they only cost like five bucks. So even my parents who had like no money when Christmas rolled around, I would get like, 14 action figures and it would only cost them like you know 70 bucks or whatever it was so it was that obsession of that toy culture and then in the mid 90s i started to understand wrestling at least from a creative aspect where watching watching the one two three kid and brett or razor um watching pillman and jushin open up nitro like suddenly I saw that there was a craftsmanship to what I was watching. And it was the same with acting. It kind of happened concurrently. I was telling somebody else this on a podcast, I believe. I said, acting and wrestling, movies and wrestling for me, happened on the same exact parallel track where it started off like Doink the Clown and watching Ernest movies. You know, it was very Uh interesting. And then it grew with the exact same chronology. So... By the late 90s, during the Attitude Era, where I everybody's obsessed, that's also the time that I understood Jack Nicholson and uh, Daniel Day-Lewis. And oh. it's like my – so in a weird way, they just always tracked at the same time. I always wanted to do both, but I wasn't athletically gifted, so I obviously just stuck with the acting thing. But, but yeah, man, it, it's – I'm a WCW kid from a historical standpoint. But I always watch both. And uh, if you look at my 
my list of favorite dudes of all time, it reads like a hodgepodge, you know? Right. And like you mentioned, Arn Anderson. And I so, remember reading something within the last few months about you wanting to play Arn Anderson in some kind of a biopic. Is that true? Yeah, it's true. I really, I really feel like I understand that cat, not personally, but just what he did in the business. It's really the, the Arn's lot in the wrestling life is not unlike my lot in acting. You're there to support. You have your own thing you do, but there's an unselfish nature about it, I think. And I find that really interesting and want to play it. Also, I have personal trainers and people I know who, if I, I'm currently probably 250. If I dropped another 45 pounds and then worked with somebody to sculpt and put on some form of muscle and covered myself in that hairy body, that Robin Williams hair that Arn Anderson has, you know, I guarantee I could, I could, if the script was any good, I could get nominated for playing Arn because I would just, I would immerse myself in a weird, dedicated fashion. Um, so I hope that happens. I think there could be a Ric Flair biopic with like Ryan Gosling or my buddy Sebastian Stan and, and I could play. Oh, Sebastian Stan, cool. yeah. Yeah. We'll see. I don't know. I would love to play a wrestler though in a movie. I, I, I really, uh, I, I could see myself doing a Mick Foley biopic too. Now Mick is six, two, obviously I'm only five, eight and a half, five, nine, but I think physically comedically, even like I do have that weird tick where I was obsessed with the show Jackass. So like back in the day, like I climbed a six foot ladder and lit my arm on fire. No, no, no. What did I do? I climbed a six foot ladder in my buddy's backyard when I was 16. We lit a box on fire with gasoline, like a giant TV box. And I did a macho man elbow drop onto it. My arm caught on fire. I tried to put it out in the snow and singed my hair and the whole side of my head. But we would do stuff like that all the time. And even in my older age, if somebody gives me an action scene, I always tell the producers, I'm like, I'm doing my own stunts. I'm not, I know you have a guy here and that's cute. Yeah. I'm doing this. And and nine out of 10 times I, I get to do it. When's uh, the last time you did one? When's the last time you did like a fight scene type of situation? I did a little stunt in The Five Bloods, the Spike Lee movie on yeah. Netflix. We... We're shooting in Thailand and the script says that my character ducks and covers. And I was like, if I'm going to do, if I'm going to do the wussy thing and like not engage in any of the action, at least let me jump behind a boulder or something. So I told Spike Lee that and he goes, can you clear it? And I go, yeah, the boulder was only three feet off the ground, but it was also thick and I had to clear it. And there's just brush and rocks on the other side. So they put a mat and covered it with brush. And in the movie, it's brief and it looks minuscule, but I dive over the rock. And I probably did that five or six times in a row and cleared it. And the stunt coordinator was happy. Spike was all giddy. Like, it was a really cool moment, and I think. And you were fine afterwards? Oh, I was fine. Yeah, I mean, I was a little sore, but I relished that stuff because you know it's on camera, just like wrestling. Yeah. Yeah, there's something. quick because your ego's like. I took it. I took the bump. I did the thing, you know. That 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 soreness, Paul, like um it was weird when I finally stopped being sore like all the time because it was like an old familiar yeah. friend. You know, it was just like like I looked and it was I don't know, there was something weirdly felt good about it. Like oh, I think some guys dig it. Like I look at I was there at uh 
what is that pay-per-view with the hardcore match? Was it full gear? Moxley? Rules. Yeah, oh, the, oh. Oh, the exploding barbed wire death match one, Revolution. right? That's it. Revolution. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was Revolution, yeah. I was there that night, and afterwards I went and, you know, hung out with some of the guys and gals backstage or whatever. And I saw Moxley, and he's, you know, he's kind of hovered over a table, really quiet, really stern, really earnest, and just kind of sipping some Jack Daniels and just kind of this brooding look. But in some way, I looked at it and I was like, I think he likes this stuff. I think the pain afterwards is part of, is just part of it for him. I I feel like he's one of those cats, you know? I don't know. Yeah. He seems like it. I probably, because I would imagine he made it this far doing this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Nick, do you want to jump in on this conversation? Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of enjoyed myself, but sure, I I could jump oh, in. You're going to say well, something about this this constructed clutter behind you? What's going on back there? Oh, this is just, you oh, know, I don't know about. What's the deal? Action figures, Nerf guns. This is my Duffy Wrestling League hat that I got at the, the Stars Heels premiere here in Chicago. I just bought a Kama, Kama Mustafa. Is that who this is? Okay. The ultimate fighting machine. Yeah, for sure. That's Godfather. Early Godfather. Dude, early Godfather. Pretty great I'll, boy. Pretty I'll great grab boy. one at random. This is a this is a uh, Edge action figure, right? Hey, my dude. Yeah. I'm, I'm buddies with Adam. You know Adam? I know Adam. I actually, yeah, I actually do know Adam. He's a very nice guy. Oh, you guys know Adam? Yeah, him and Jay, right? I you know, writing. I did some writing on the Edge and Christian show, which I don't know if I should admit that or not, but I did. I think you know. Look, that was a special time. That show was really edgy, right? That was the- one of the only good original shows from the network, in my opinion. But yeah, I, I think those guys are hilarious. I love those guys, and I'm happy for Christian. I mean, dude, he he's he can still go. There's not only is there gas left in the tank, but the car still runs well. Hey, so I'll go. I'll go this far. Not only can he still go, but he can still go as good as he ever did. And he looks in better shape, and Great. he's he always looked really young, right? Like, always. and so now that he's gotten older, he looks he doesn't look like an old man, like you know, you know what I mean? So yeah, he's like Big Kev. I think he's got some Native yeah. blood in him or something. He's, he's I don't know, but man, I'm so happy for that guy because you know, like he did get overlooked a little bit. Like he should be in the freaking WWE Hall of Fame. Give me a break, easily. And That's I'm silly. Sure They'll throw him in someday, and he'll he'll probably be too old to care. But. I mean, I, you know, the thing is, is that like, if I was him, I don't I don't know if it, I would necessarily be that into it at this point. Like, you know, I mean, yeah, it still feels good, but like, uh, you know, at some point, you're like, uh, that bus has left the station. And yeah, and I'll say this: I think it's similar to winning a Golden Globe or a an Academy Award or something. It's not that you're not honored and it's not that it's not cool. It's that when you get a certain age and it happens for some people at 30, other people at 70, I don't know. But I think we're all kind of getting to that age where it's like, you're sort of just happy. You have your health, your friends and your truth. And that's kind of enough and everything else. Just you kind of see it for the pageantry. It is rather than the, goal that it once was it once was mm-hmm. a goal now it's now it's not the cake so much as it is a candle on top you know it's different right on very, very millennial mentality there paul well i'm uh, it, millenn- <laughs> i'm the same age as you so i'll say that i'm not i'm not throwing shade i'm, I'm the same age you know no, no I, I i don't know how to define it but 
But yeah, if that's a millennial thing, that's that's one of the good things millennials have given, I suppose, is a, a detachment from that which is very momentary uh, in that regard. I, I wanted to say, too, um, it was a really cool distinction you had and have, man, of uh, having been a part of just two of the most dynamic factions of all time. Something I wanted to ask you, if you don't mind answering, is uh, what was the biggest difference socially for you, socially and creatively? If you can, if you, it's a lot to think about, but what what was the biggest social and creative difference between being a part of the NWO and being a part of DX? I have, wow. and there's at least a little bit of color variance between those two. Yeah. Uh... You mean as far as like create, like, like creatively, did you feel you got to do more or have better matches as six or Xbox? Wow. That's a tough question because, um, man, when I was in WCW, uh, I, I did, man, I was really blessed to be put in there with some great talent, right? Ray Mysterio, like some of those cruiserweights, Hoovy, uh, yeah, Chris. Yeah. Um, Rick Flair, uh, I, I had stuff with D with my one of my teachers, Dean Malenko. Um, but man, it was just it was a whole nother level for me when I went back in the DX because I was just way I was more of a lead lead role player, you know. Yeah. Um, I knew my role in in WC in NWO, like I and I loved it. It was great, uh, but I wasn't. I was I was higher up on the totem pole, totem DX for sure, and I made more money, uh, and it was just I had a lot more fun because the the like this there was very little stress, Paul, very little stress. Everyone was doing well. Everyone was like from from my point of view, everyone seemed happy. I mean, I'm sure there was some people that weren't, but you know, every so go ahead. So on that note, then. Noting the difference, the the delineation between the two. Yeah. By the time 2000 rolled around and you got Jericho's there, Big Show, uh, uh, Saturn, Eddie, Chris, and Dean. Dean. Yeah. And then also the implosion of like suddenly the brood is like a viable thing and they're having the TLC matches and the ECW guys are there. Was it really hard to sort of maintain a spot with that amount of talent being featured? Was there a big change overnight? Did you feel? No, no, I didn't feel it at all. And and I was and like say for instance, even like fast forward a little bit to when we actually did you know Vince bought WCW and we absorbed their roster. Like yeah. a lot of people were up in arms over that, right? Like hey, you know, there's only so many spots. I never, I I never had that mentality, Paul. It was always, man, if somebody's good enough to take my spot, come fucking take it. Yeah, Let's that's kind of how got. I feel. I feel the same way with acting where back in the day, I still audition on occasion. I'll do self-tapes and stuff. But uh, back in the day when I would go to an audition as recent as three, four years ago, um, I, I really invited – I was excited about the competition. I never looked at it like, F you, I need to win. Because some of these guys, too, at the time, I'd be auditioning against guys who have two kids and a mortgage. Oh, wow. I don't, I don't need the job more than him. I'm not I'm not that selfish. Like, whatever, dude. Like, let fate take care of this guy if that's the case. But, but I also 
I, I never was afraid of the competition. I really, I really, that kind of was my competitive sport was getting in a room for black Klansmen, looking at all these random white dudes. And right. going, I'm going to be the best racist today. For- <laughs> you were a really good one. Yeah. Pulled that off really good, Paul. <laughs> yeah. Hey, no winking, no winking. Uh, it was scary. It was scary to kind of do that role in front of Spike too, because I love the guy, I respect his work, and he's he's a black man. So having to say some of those things in front of him, yeah. How do you? How's that go, look, man? That sucks. And if anything, he was so generous with. I mean, it's his own writing, so we can't right. get that upset. But even when I would improvise, and I would have to improvise in a racist manner. He really embraced it all and made me feel safe to create. And I'll never forget the environment he set up for guys like me and my co-stars. He really made us feel like, you know, this, this is, I know it feels gross, but lean into it, you know? Yeah. I I imagine it, imagine it did feel kind of gross. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's, there were one or two days where I went home and it felt, you, you know, that feeling where you have like a slight headache and like warm saliva, you feel like the flu is coming on you. I had like yeah. I had that once or twice where I would go home to my Airbnb at the end of the day and go, why do I feel gross? And then I would recall what I did that day and go, oh, maybe it's a good thing that you, that you feel sick. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, human. Well, uh, you know, when we're talking about, you know, uh, environments, you know, you really made a home over, it seems like, with the AEW clan. Uh, I know you got a lot of friends over there. Uh, I heard, uh, maybe you said this or read this, like you had a bunch of references and queen pins, like change from WWE to AEW references. What, like you're very loyal to them, it seems. So my, my background with AEW is just that I really, as a fan, I really signed on pretty hard early on. I just had a feeling that I had a feeling that that amount of business acumen and money and talent would just become explosive. Did I know that we'd be seeing Daniel Bryan and Kenny Omega and CM Punk on the same pay-per-view in 2021? No. Uh, but did I know that they would be successful? Yes. Um, I, I was friendly with Cody because when he left WWE, I shot him, his manager, an email. You know, those wrestlers, when they leave a company, they put up a booking email. So I just emailed him and said, hey, here's a list of crap I've done. I work in Hollywood. Let me know if I can help you out. So I took Cody to I was stone I was stoned one night going to a yoga night at Orange Theory Fitness in Hollywood. And uh I mean it's the most fun you could have as a single guy. You get a little baked, you go do yoga with a bunch of beautiful women and then you go out to a bar afterwards. It's the greatest thing ever. So yeah. I'm, on, I'm on my way to that thing and uh I get a text that says, "Hey man, it's uh hey man, let me know when you want to meet up or something." I go, who is this? And he says, it's Cody R. I'm like, Cody R. Oh, oh, right. So I'm, so I'm texting him and I'm like, man, I'm stoned. I shouldn't be texting this dude right now. I don't even, I barely know him. I'm going to say something dumb. But I ended up taking him to lunch at a burger place called Stout. And uh, we just chatted for an hour or two. And I just told him if I can ever, I say this to many people. I help out a shit ton of people though. It's probably not talked about. I, I, I do trust me. Uh, I just tell people that I like, if I think they're talented and they're a hard worker, here's my number. If I can ever be helpful, let me be helpful. And I've done that with Cody and Dustin and a number of guys. 
And then, you know, went to the Jericho cruise a couple of times and Chris and I almost got in a drunken fight one night. Chris just turned on me randomly. Have you heard that story, Nick? No, but like he got, he went, he went drunk a co on you. Oh, he went drunk a co on me for sure. And, uh, <laughs> and then somebody was talking shit on Twitter and then he hit me up and said, can we iron this beef out on my podcast? So I, I met all those guys and gals and now I show up randomly at pay-per-views and stuff. And Tony Khan, to his credit, has been a, uh, incredibly kind to me and let me be a hanger on on the side watching the show and stuff. Um, but yeah, no, I, I really just think, I think they're coming at it from a purist angle. They're doing a really great job. They're being inclusive. They're kind of do they're sort of like TNA with the six sided ring. AEW is doing things slightly differently that make a big impact, you know? And I think, I think they're, they're doing really well. I'm really happy to see them do what they've done, you know? And Queen, yeah. yeah, Queen Pins was the thing that I got this part in this movie and uh, and I saw there were WWE references in the movie and I said... Did they put them in there just for you? No, no, they were just in there because uh, they had another guy before me who dropped out and then I signed on. But I, I read the script and I go, can we change this to AEW? I happen to know the owner... I could probably get you a decent deal with the licensing, the images. And they go, yeah, let us know if we can do that. It'd be great. So, so yeah, if you watch the movie Queen Pins, which drops on Paramount Plus in today, two, Thursday the 30th, it'll be oh, out yeah. on Paramount Plus. You will see, I believe it is the first film in Hollywood to feature AEW uh, in the film. Wow. So pretty cool. Wow, that is cool, man. Pretty neat distinction. You know, when yeah. I was a kid... I saw wrestling in movies once in a while. You like, I watched this movie fly away home with Jeff Daniels when I was a little kid and they show an undertaker match for like 10 or 12 seconds. And as a kid, you point it out and you're like, Whoa. So my hope is that if some 15 year old watches queen pins and they see the AEW signature at the beginning of the show, they'll mark out for five seconds. Hey man, if there was any little piece of wrestling, anything in a movie, I would go to the movie theater, like, okay, for instance, Mickey and Maude. You know that movie? Yeah. Dudley Moore, Dudley Moore, and uh, uh, Andre the Giant, like Chief J. Strongbow, and H.B. Haggerty, Hardboiled Haggerty's in it. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, it had nothing to do with wrestling. There's only one little tiny part, but I went to the theater to see that shit. Because there was a wrestler in it. It's like, it's like you're, uh, I don't know, there's something about seeing wrestling outside of wrestling that is so, like, Makes you feel good about being a wrestling fan. It's yeah, it's validating. I don't. Yeah. It's it's you know I'm 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 a I'm a big Jesus guy. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pretty uh, spiritual dude. So like I get the same kick out of you know a family prays before a meal in a random movie, and I'm just like tight. I'm not the only one who believes in the thing they can't prove. Tight, awesome. <laughs> it makes me feel better, you know. So what, we talked earlier about how you want to be ready uh, to play a wrestler if, when the time comes, uh, have you look at that, the crusher right. right in our midst. Have you been training, Paul? Have you been training in pro wrestling? Have you worked with anyone to train in pro wrestling? Anything like that? How dare you ask such a leading question that you know the answer to? <laughs> I, you can lie, whatever. I, I didn't want to say anything. I, no, I, I have, tr- um, this guy on my shirt right here, Darian Banks and is a, He's a younger uh, developmental talent who's been working in and out of um, Cody's Nightmare Factory and also just doing the independence and running the circuit and getting paid a ham sandwich to, you know, do a sunset flip. So I 
he he showed me some stuff. Anthony Agogo of AEW fame, oh, really? uh, as well as the boxing world, was very uh, patient with me and wanted to show me stuff. And then uh, Dallas Page. And um, I don't want to forget anybody because the people who help you really got to be acknowledged, uh, especially when it's free. Oh, uh, Vance, um, number 10 uh, uh, from the Dark Order. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Oh, cool. Yeah, the four of those gentlemen have all helped me in – and out of the composite six, seven hours of training I've, I've done, I had about two minutes of a memorized match laid out where I, I did the wrist manipulation. Uh, I took a bump and took a clothesline. I, I could give a vertical suplex. Like I really, I really loved it dearly. And you learn to love the pain because you, you love the work. So I, you know, I've said it before and I'll say it again definitively. I guarantee you, unless God swipes me from the earth because that's his call anyway, I will be wrestling in a celebrity wrestling match someday and it will not be forgettable. It will it will be because if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. I'm not just going to do it. I'd rather not do yeah. it than do it poorly. So it'll be a body transformation of some kind. There'll be a lot of diligence to actually learning the craft well enough to pull off a 10-minute match and not be gassed and vomit. And then... I also just want to take like an actual bump and feel like a thumbtack spot through a table. Like, let's just do it. Who gives it? You know what hurts more? Than okay, why not just go straight to the light tubes, Paul? <laughs> not like <laughs> not like GCW. That I mean, I don't want Nick Gage to rip my throat in half. Uh-huh. Like, but I I figure I have been turned down by so many women who've broken my heart. I've been turned down by so many things in Hollywood and the world itself is only getting darker. If you tell me I'm going through thumbtacks on a flaming table, it's going to hurt bad, but also the glory I get out of that will far outweigh six months of pain. Oh, without a doubt. Guaranteed. Oh yeah. Uh, Yeah. I'm going to wait till I want to try to like win an Emmy in the next 10 years or something. I want to like, I want to try to win a couple of acting awards and show up like Owen and just heal out right. and then have, have kind of my, uh, who is that guy who got beat up by new Jack, the young heavy set kid. Oh, mass oh. transit. Mass transit. Man, I want my mass transit moment where we, we, you know, it's, it's still a work, but we get like MJF and a couple guys, like maybe Ryan Nemeth and his crew of wingmen to just beat the crap out of me and then have me go away. Shamed. And then come back six months later with a six pack, yes, and, and, a, and a kendo stick ready to ready to do it all <laughs> and pay the price. You know, I'm sure your agent loves that, Paul. You know, it's not like you have uh, any short amount of projects that could be uh, affected if you were to get injured me in a major way, Paul. I'd have to do it right after a payday. I'd have to, I'd have to be like the chubby sidekick in Fast and Furious 17, and then once I bank that money, go well. I'm going to go through a flaming table and some thumbtacks and just see what happens. I'll see you guys in a year. Hey, Paul. Paul, hey, man. You know, we're talking about AEW and that you're a big fan of AEW. Like, um, do you still watch other product? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, to me, to me, wrestling's like pizza. It's always good even when it's bad. And, uh, and you got to order from a bunch of places. So, you know, I pay for Honor Club, ROH. Uh-huh. Uh, I watch and I'll watch, I'll order an impact pay-per-view twice a year. Uh, I love PWG and have been to those shows a few times in LA. I still watch Connecticut 
once in a while. I think the roster is incredible, but the booking and the writing uh, just annoy the crap out of me. It's just so bizarre. Some of the some of the things they choose to do just make me scratch my head till my fingers hurt. So, could you imagine if a, if a regular TV series did shit like that? I mean, it wouldn't be around. You'd lose some fans, I think you would lose some fans probably. But you know, in their defense, they're on TV two, three times a week, yeah. all year. If WWE had a season and it was just like, hey, for eight out of twelve months you get to watch wrestling, I bet it would be much better. Uh, but that's not fiscally responsible for them, and I, I understand mm. their business model. Uh, AEW is the top of my list. Second to AEW uh, would probably be probably New Japan because even when I don't know the performers. Even when I don't know the roster, because I only know, like, I'm only familiar with maybe six New Japan guys. When I watch them, it's just really good. Yeah. You kind of don't have to know. You kind of, it's like eating a good meal from a, a a fine dining restaurant where you go, I don't know what the hell's in this, but I'm going to order another one because I have a company card. You know, it's just, it's, I think those guys and gals are that good. Um, but yeah, if I were ever to get to wrestle, man, I would just want it to be in a, in a company where there would actually be a, where there would actually just be some sort of storyline that's mutually beneficial. Cause the idea isn't just for me to have an adult make a wish. Mm-hmm. The idea is to also help the product's visibility and end up putting over one or more of their performers. So for sure. I would have that mindset going in. It wouldn't just be a selfish, weird, uh, you know, celeb thing. Much like Ron did with GCW. I thought it was awesome, man. I, yeah. I didn't see the match, but I saw clips. I, I yeah, saw. but just the whole the like what they did leading up to it, promoting it, going on James Gordon, and it was you know great. the shit they, they did at the cool. comedy store or not the com at the at the improv. They right. shot an angle at the improv. That was perfect. So, yeah, Andy Kaufman too, which I'm sure right? was a fan of his. You know. Mm-hmm. Hey, so what do you how, what's your take on this tribalism, man? How so? And what with the re- with the wrestling fans and the toxicity, man, and just like um, if you like this, then you're you're a dumb fuck. If like it's like, come on, man. It's bleeding in from the political culture. Yes, everything is one or the other, and I I think, you know, I think people make a hobby out of out of pet peeves, and they make a hobby out of their own. And also, you know, I'll never forget the energy. I went to my first NHL game. And it was like the Bruins, I think it was the Bruins and Kings or something. And I just recall, because I'm not a fan of hockey in the sense that I watch it, but every time I go out of my way to watch it live or televised, I enjoy myself. And I go into my first game and the energy in that arena was borderline toxic. It wasn't the same vibe as me going to SmackDown or me going to uh, a baseball game. The vibe was a certain veneer of aggression that felt like people were taking out their anger from work or their marriage onto the game. Now, wow. I know that sounds over the top, but I'm being really honest because it, it was a visceral moment that I'll, I'll never forget. And I think that's happened with the internet where even when we're yelling about wrestling or politics or movies or sports, it has nothing to do with that. From a psychological e- evaluation, you'd find out that some of these people, if they're in the same room, they'd be best friends 
Absolutely. It's crazy, right? They're mad about whatever other shit. They're mad because they're five foot four and they're a man that works on a lumber yard. They're mad because uh, their mother never validated their gifts as a teenager. They're mad because they can't get the weight off that they gained in college. It has nothing to do with wrestling. Man, it's exhausting sometimes. <laughs> well, and you got and you got to have a sense of humor at the end of the day. I think the best response to everybody like doing that thing, the best response is to take the piss out of it and make fun of yourself. Like I'll retweet people who talk smack about me. Yeah. And I'll go, I'll go, well, you're not wrong. I Tanya definitely sucked. And uh this is why I've enrolled at the Carnegie Mellon School of Drum. Like I'll turn some way to like, because then they look at it and they go, oh, shit, he saw it. Except for I, Tanya, was fucking great. Yeah, it was a good movie. It was really good. <laughs> but it's that thing of like, right. they go through a process where you get to educate them on their own feelings, where they go, oh, shit, he saw it. Oh, shit, he, why do you like it? I talked shit to him. Oh, he retweeted it. Oh, he said something kind of funny. Oh, he didn't flip out on me. Oh, maybe I don't need to flip out. Oh, yeah. why did I flip out? You know, it's that shit. You just deconstruct it. You know? Yeah, there's not enough people out there defusing situations on social media like that, Paul. You know, it's it's nuance is lost out there, you know? Quite a bit. And Bro, uh, it's heartbreaking, man. Like, weird. honestly, man, it makes me sad. It is sad. And I think, you know, that's why when people do act nasty, if you can find it in your heart, you know, religious or not, whatever your thing is, if you can find it in your heart, to give someone even momentary undeserved love, it's really powerful, man. It's a lot more powerful than giving them a link to some YouTube video. Like, like it, it, you got to give somebody something they've never got before for them to stop in their tracks. You know, you got to kind of, kind of, got to kind of reverse the order. And it's like, what do you, what does Sean Waltman care if, if all these major wrestlers have validated this guy both in and out of the ring? And the fans love you and you have huge amount of fans. Who cares if somebody makes fun of something? You know, that's how I right. feel with my shit where I'm like, yeah, even if you hate it, like I, I don't, that's okay. Who? I don't, I don't care. I, well, I achieve more than I thought I would. I'm kind of a dumbass. I, I never, I never finished college. I don't have a driver's license. There are a lot of pieces of me that are inept from a place of maturation, but I'm happy and I'm successful and I, I know who I am and I know who my friends are. No fact, driver's license. No, dude. I'm a weirdo, man. I don't, I know. I, I'm 36. I'm the same age as Paul. I also did not finish college or have a driver's license. So like ever? I, ever? I, I, I had my permit a bunch of times and I can drive. Per, you give me your car and somebody goes, hey, man, I can't drive. I had too many drinks. I could get you home easy. Gotcha. More, I, I was in a really bad car wreck when I was 10. Uh, that kind of fucked with my head a little bit. Really? I, mine was a semi-truck. We, we we got hit by a semi-truck going 80 in Benton Harbor, Michigan. The driver fell asleep at the wheel. And because Michigan's a no-fault state, we couldn't sue the guy. He almost killed us. Uh, what I, was yeah, I, I, my dad uh, driving the family back from Christmas dinner, uh, we had the green light and uh, car came, girl 16 came speeding the other direction did not or had her phone out did not see the red light t-bone we actually wound up t-boning her like but if it had been like a half second difference she'd have t-boned us you know wound up spinning out 
you know, I, all that I, I think that's part of it, but also I can't let myself off the hook. I'm a grown man. I'm sure that if I took some lessons, proper lessons and like focused up, I could pass. And, you know, the first time I didn't pass at 17 was because I didn't know how to parallel park. <laughs> and, and I tried and I biffed it and I felt like an idiot. And the instructor, I'm really sensitive. And the instructor just totally dogged me out in front of my dad and made me feel this big. And I was, I think all of that psychologically played into me putting it off. But then I did find out there are other guys who, Russell Brand, Jordan Peele, Norm McDonald, Chris Walken. There are a lot of guys who. So you didn't want to feel rained on. So you went and found out whoever, who everyone else was that didn't have a license. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hey, can I make a, uh, a can I make a um, an admission right now? Sure. I, I myself currently do not have a driver's license. It expired. So we got all three. No <laughs> There's a reason we're sitting wearing wrestling t-shirts on a podcast. This oh, is who God. we are. Okay. Um, uh, first of all, I'm wearing more of a Jimmy. I'm going to a Jimmy Buffett concert type shirt right now. This is not a wrestling shirt. Boy. I, thought was, I thought that was Dalton Castle's. Uh, Dalton Castle's. What do you call it? His. Um, yeah. That guy cracks me up. That guy should be an AEW man. He would. He would be like Orange Cassidy over if he was an AEW. Yes, hey, I man, you know you know what I heard? I heard like that guy can wrestle, like legit, and he's in great shape. Like you can't blow that guy up. Um, yeah, man. I I've heard of I've heard some people that have worked out with him on the mat. He's no fucking joke. His, his shoulders, his back and shoulders look like like an Adirondack. It's it's insane how built that guy is, actually. And if you ever get a chance to go see his uh one man show or his live comedy show. It's really enjoyable, and he'll bring people up like Matt Taven and other stuff, and they have really good bits. And I've seen some wrestling comedy shows. Uh, I'm glad Dolph finally found his groove. His show was not my favorite for a while, but it's really good now. So, something I want to say about Dolph, I don't know him well at all. We've never met. I'm, go I'm good friends with Ryan, his brother. But, but Dolph put in the hours. Like, anytime he's not doing the wrestling thing, He's like actually writing in notebooks and showing up at comedy clubs. And like, he's real. I'm really impressed with how he's like giving himself over to it in a real way. And I don't think he gets enough credit for that. Um, I think he, he, he seems like he's doing well. His yeah. brother's brilliant too, right? Like Ryan, he's, he's brilliant, dude. One of my favorite guy, one of my favorites, yeah. another guy who does the work. I really like, I like people who do the work and kind of shut up. Cause there's, there's that hip hop mentality. I say hip hop. It's, it's actually just like popular music in general. There's kind of that class of artist who is like, Hey, I'm going to talk about myself all the time. Not because I'm promoting something, but because it's really fun to have attention constantly. Right. I kind of prefer the Dean Malenko's, the Ryan Nemes, the guys who just are like craftsmen who do the work and, and do their thing. You know, I, I think that's a good thing. I think more people probably need to do that. Well, uh, Paul, we've taken about an hour of your time, which I think is like triple whatever I told your booking <laughs> you were going to do. So you've been very, very patient. I we love and appreciate you. You obviously are welcome back. Um, anything Next you want to really dope to promote? I'll come back and I'll have a, a host of more questions to bother Sean with because I oh. I do mean it. You were a fixture in my childhood now adulthood thank you for the sacrifice you make for everybody thank you man. and uh and yeah when if and when you do get back in the ring i i hope i'm there to watch it man hey you still out here in la 
Uh, when I'm not filming, yeah. yeah I, that's what I'm at when you're not working. I got a kid now who, who lives with um, this mom in in uh, Georgia, but I'm I'm gonna be there a bunch and then and then going back to LA a bunch. So yeah. Yeah, man. When you get back out here, let's connect. Yeah, dude. dude. Absolutely. God bless yeah. you guys. Please stay. God healthy. bless you, man. All right, everyone, join us right now is the business analyst from WrestleNomics, Brandon Thurston. Brandon, thank you, thank you for coming on, man. Thanks for having me here. It's a pleasure to be here with, uh, with the 123 Kid and Nick Hausman. Yeah, we've been talking about having you on for, for a little while now. Really? Um, awesome. Yeah. It was, what was that guy's name? That, that, oh, shit, man. Alfred Kanawa? Yeah, Alfred Kanawa. Yes. Like, yeah. And it, like things went so well with him talking about business side of things. Like, cool. man, we 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 realized that we really need to have you on. Thank you, man. Awesome. Yeah. So Brandon, like you're so WrestleNomics, you guys are really like the numbers driven uh, side of the pro wrestling journal journalism sphere, correct? We cover the business of professional wrestling. Uh, I have a podcast that, that that's weekly, but but I do nearly every weekday. In fact. I'm waiting right now for another rating to come in because that's when Nielsen reports the ratings is at 4 p.m. Eastern. So the raw rating could come out at any minute now. But yeah, that, that's I, I, I'm pretty well known for doing the TV ratings, but I cover all the aspects of the wrestling business. Wow. So go ahead, Nick. I was going to say, so yeah, Brandon, like how important are these ratings? Like you cover them. Some people will tell you ratings don't mean anything. Like mm -hmm. what, is, what do ratings mean right now in the grand scheme of things in the pro wrestling business? I think people say ratings don't matter in a sense that you're, when you try to compare ratings of today to the ratings of the past to try to determine something about the popularity of a program, that's where things get really complicated because the nature of TV is just such that people have, there are, there are fewer homes now and there will be over time, fewer homes that have cable TV subscriptions. So it's, it's a difficult comparison to make. Um, but especially when we're talking about wrestling companies, the biggest revenue stream for the major wrestling companies, WWE and AEW, is their, their TV revenue, their TV rights that they get for their weekly TV programs. Um, and they're valuable to the networks that broadcast them because of the, the TV ratings that they do. Now, the TV ratings that they do are substantially lower than they were in, in the glory days of the Monday Night Wars. Right. But they're still among the most highly watched programs on TV. And that makes them very valuable to, to networks that are increasingly uh they need the most popular programs now more than ever to keep their bundle together and to keep their subscribers uh subscribing and that like and you're talking about the tv rights aspect of things and how like the, the you know the majority of the money's coming from there and it used to be different man like it used to be the pay-per-views where we're like 80 percent mm -hmm. of the money came from you know Damn. back when i like when i was you know in like the mid 90s sure. and all that for sure um, and uh, so recently they had Kenny Omega and Daniel Bryan and it was on, it was on, you know, TV and not a pay-per-view. Right. And there was some controversy over it, you know, Oh, they should have saved it for a pay-per-view, yeah. but you know, like people that know what's up, I think realize, no, this was the smart way to do it. And this is the, this is where the money is at and the TV. And so like, I agreed with them. I think that was smart for them to put that out there. Yeah. I, I think AEW has the advantage of, they're new to the game, but they get to sort of set the rules for themselves while not having to deal with the, the, the habits or the expectations 
of of CWE has, has set themselves up to do 12 pay-per-views mm-hmm. a year. And that's that's what they've they've done for decades, and that's what their fans expect. Um, and AEW has the advantage of saying, all right, we're gonna just do four a year and do that. And and they do draw more revenue for a single pay-per-view than they do for a single TV episode. So pay-per-views are still a bigger in a, on a single case than a single episode of TV, but their TV relationships with their broadcast partners, especially in the U S but around the world are so important that I, th- I think it behooves them to put on these occasional big TV shows like we've seen with grand slam and we've seen uh, with winter is coming in December. So I think that's something that they'll, they'll continue to do. And I think we even see that in WWE to an extent where yeah. you know, they, they decided to, to not do the Big E and Bobby Lashley match on pay-per-view, but to do it last night on raw instead. Are you, what are your expectations? You know, we could get the raw viewership here at any given moment, right? Um, like, do you do you think, are you expecting a, a bounce here coming out of Extreme Rules? Like, what is a good bounce, I guess, for WWE in a situation like this? The, the pay-per-view, the post-PPV bump, um, it's for, for the B pay-per-views is not as consistent. You see it, especially for WrestleMania. You see it for Royal Rumble. We've seen it this year for SummerSlam really strongly. Um but not every pay-per-view has a post-PPV bump. I wouldn't expect this this rating for Raw to be that much over the normal. Um, although they did have, you know, the, the hype around, uh, they did the Big E Bobby Lashley match in the open, and, and apparently the strategy was to shoot an angle out of that match and then to advertise a steel cage match to the end of the night to keep people tuned in through through the three hours. I thought that was well done, by the way. Yeah, this, sort of the second week in the row that they've done that, where they've advertised the big match and then shoot an angle and then do something else uh-huh. in the main event. So we'll see how that works out for them. And the fortunate thing for us is that Nielsen reports raw in three separate rows for whatever reason. So we get to see what, what our one, two, and three did and to see how they've been holding on through, through the spring. Um, raw has done, done a really good job of maintaining viewership through the third hour, which has not been the case for the last several years. The third hour ends up being the least watched of the three most often. So when we're talking, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you guys wrote about this on WrestleNomics recently, and it's something that I'm really, really interested in. You know, like a year ago, the uh, the conversation about WWE and their TV rights fees coming up with Fox and, U- and NBC, a lot of people saying, you know, maybe that's the time they'll sell to NBC. You know, maybe they'll re-up and kind of keep the strategy going. Right. But, you know, AEW has taken off at a rate I don't think anybody really predicted over the last year and a half, two years. How does their success and their Warner Media TV rights coming up around the same time as all this Fox NBC stuff change what we could be seeing here in two, three years when it comes to those negotiations. I think that is the biggest question. And it's the biggest question that I've, uh, my former podcast co-host, Chris Harrington is now working as a senior vice president of business strategy for AEW. I was just, I did, just did an interview with him uh, the other day. That's on our podcast that I was, I asked him what he thought of that because WWE will, if you ask WWE, AW, they're not concerned about AW. They're focused on themselves. Um, and, and everything is competition to them. Netflix, sleep, all of it. Um, but the, the way that they, these two companies might be competition to each other and might really have an effect on each other is when it comes to, to negotiate TV rights. And that's probably going to happen in the middle of 2023 or so. I'm, I'm sure it'll be an extended period of time. It's not just one meeting, but it's an extended uh, negotiation period. I, I wonder if... Um, network executives will look at what what W would like for uh, for an upgrade. I'm sure in their in their TV rights fees and wonder, well, why should I pay X for Raw and SmackDown when now there's this other wrestling brand out here, uh, Dynamite slash Rampage that's maybe comparable in some categories. We've seen in the key demo of 1849, uh, Raw had 
uh, Dynamite has equaled Raw in 1849 on two occasions so far. It's the first two times that's ever happened. Um, but I just I wonder if if networks are going to think about it that way, or if they or if they're just going to see every other pro, see Dynamite or vice versa Raw and SmackDown. It just in in the pool of all these other TV programs. But I, I tend to think they're Raw or WWE and AEW are going to do quite well in the, in the next round of negotiations, but especially in a, in a multiple, I think uh, AEW is really undervalued just because they're new. But if you look at the viewership, you look at what each of these programs are getting paid. AEW is way undervalued relative to the viewership it's delivering. So I think there's a great argument that, you know, you could get see a tripling or quadrupling of, of AEW's current rights fees. Wow. With that, that would make it like a billion dollar company if something like that happened, correct? They're, they're getting about $44 million a year on an average annual basis for four years. And if you multiply that by four, that would be something like well over $100 million per year for, for AEW Dynamite. So, I mean, it, it could end up, be, it depends on the length, of course, but it could be a billion dollar deal or something like that. Sure. That's crazy, man. That's wild. And so and like anything can happen in the next couple of years, but that's, that's my tendency to, to think right now. So what do you think? Do you think WWE is leaning sell or uh, continue to, uh, you know, lease out everything they have per year? What's your gut? I, I think as long as Vince McMahon is, is alive and well, he's going to maintain control of this company. That, that's my belief. Um, I think the most important thing to Vince, yes, making money is important, but I think controlling his company and controlling the destiny of, of, of WWE is, is the most important thing to him in, in my view. Um, I, I think it makes not a lot disagree with that. <laughs> I, I think I think Dude. it makes a lot of I think it makes a lot of sense for NBC Universal to to acquire it, um, depending on what they could get it for, uh, because NBC Universal is spending uh, two hundred million dollars a year for the Peacock deal for the W Network rights. They're spending two hundred and sixty five million dollars a year for Raw, so they're spending you know well over four hundred million dollars a year. They're they're paying WWE. Uh, when, you know, it would be nice if they could just own that property and, and not have to essentially lease or rent these these rights. Say, um, hey, Brandon, how yeah. how um, how do you compare the value of the WWE property to like, you know, some of the movies and other stuff that, say, Peacock tries to acquire? Like, you know, what I mean, yeah, I guess it's it's down to how many if we're thinking about WWE network on Peacock, I I think it's it's hard to unpack and maybe they have analytics that make it make the, the picture more clear, but like how many subscribers does WWE drive to Peacock? We know what the network was doing on its own. And, and, and these are just us rights that Peacock right. owns, right? So the network is still standalone throughout the rest of the world. Um, but it's about 1.1, 1.2 million subscribers that they had in the U S before they sold it to Peacock. So you could argue that that's what they're getting. Um, and maybe and they're charging half the price. True. Because they they feel like they need to grab all these subscribers now, and maybe over time we'll inch up the price. But mm -hmm. but they they need to invest for the future. As you know, NBC Universal is owned by Comcast, and Comcast is a cable company, so it's kind of like a lifeboat. You've got this this right. big business, cable TV, that is very profitable, but it's a shrinking business. And what are you going to do for the future? And one of those things they're going to do for the future is try to monetize Peacock. Um, Brandon, um, you know, you were talking earlier about you know, the cord cutting and all that and, and Nielsen's like, how, how good a job does Nielsen do on, on getting like the numbers from people that you sling or, you know, uh, Hulu plus live or YouTube TV or yeah. shit like that. So 
all of that stuff is supposed to be included, whether you're watching through a traditional cable or satellite channel uh, carrier, you're, you're yeah. counted, of course. But if you're watching, I, I, I'm a Sling subscriber, right? Uh -huh. but, but because I'm watching through uh, that, that carrier, I should still be being included if I were a Nielsen home. I would be included in that if I was watching on Hulu, live TV. These, these are all the, the VMV, VMVPDs, the virtual multi-video I forget what the rest of it stands for, but all those virtual ones are. If, if I'm watching a YouTube clip, though, of, of what happened on Raw, the three-minute YouTube clip, that's yeah. not being counted. Right. But all these, other, all these other sources, they have um, sort of a, a, they have an audio signature, I was told by somebody who works at Nielsen. There's an audio signature that wouldn't be audible to us, but it's at such a high frequency. But their little device that they give to the people in the Nielsen homes picks it up, and they record what they're watching through that. And that signal would be broadcast through a hulu sling youtube tv uh broadcast but not through the social media clips that people watch that kind of terrifies me that there's these high-pitched like <laughs> that we can't hear that are being put out into the room while we're watching tv i didn't know that and i don't know why that creeps me out so much well you would know if you had a, a nielsen device in your home oh good okay <laughs> hey can i just like real quick just say like Dude, your voice is very soothing. Thank you. <laughs> very relaxing to talk to. <laughs> I, I, I've, I've been told there's a dual purpose of the podcast that I do. It's an ASMR uh, podcast in secret. It's nice, man. I'm not going to freaking lie. <laughs> <laughs> I think Sean may go back and do some yoga to this podcast. Sweet. Um, so, Brandon, let's talk ticket sales. What, what are big takeaways yeah. you've seen right now between the difference in the way WWE and AEW uh, tickets are moving at the moment? Well, there's been, uh, I think TV ratings and ticket sales for WWE have, have done pretty well. There's There's been a pent-up demand that exceeded my maybe cynical ex expectations. Um, it was really strong for WWE at first. They did their, they did 14,000 people in Houston for the first SmackDown. That was a sellout. I mean, it's, been, it's not been sellouts recently, but it's been okay. It's been fairly strong compared to, I, I think, of pre-pandemic when there was a multi-year decline in, in ticket sales mm -hmm. um but it's, it's hard to say right now but um we do have one direct comparison between AEW and WWE right now is, is there uh their UBS debuts in yeah uh they're doing raw in late November and and dynamite is happening in the same building uh in early December and right now AEW is is well ahead of of raw but we'll see how that shakes out when when it comes time to do those shows so you you say that, but what are the ticket prices? Are, are do they both have comparable ticket prices? That's a good question. There's a great resource called WrestleTix that follows this stuff really closely, and uh, I've, I've I've talked to the person behind WrestleTix quite a bit, and he's using a script to count the dots on Ticketmaster. It's mm -hmm. most of these these events are through Ticketmaster, and some of them through other outlets. But he's counting the dots. Um, but ticket prices, say for Mad the Madison Square Garden SmackDown that they did, did a couple weeks ago, were really high, and I believe those are the highest ticket prices that we've seen. May maybe with the exception of SummerSlam, um, but that was, you know, it, if you compare, say, the Arthur Ashe show that obviously had a higher attendance versus the Madison Square Garden that had a lower attendance, but I think the WWE show at Madison Square Garden probably had a higher gate just by virtue of the the ticket sales being quite high. And they are, and they have a deal like. At least they used to. I don't know if things changed when New Japan got into MSG. Uh, I don't know if that changed the relationship between WWE and MSG. But um, man, in the in the early '90s when I first started there, it, it, back then it cost like 200 grand just to open the doors at MSG. 
I, I understand that the, there's a union involved, and so it's very expensive to run Madison Square Garden, and that's why we, we rarely see WWE run TV at Madison Square Garden. SmackDown that just happened is, is the big exception. Um, but it's mostly when they go to New York City, they've been running Barclays Center in, in Brooklyn. Right. Um, but yeah, I've, I've heard it's very expensive. So so you can see why that maybe justifying the higher ticket prices, if they were going to make some money there, they had to be pretty high. Oh, yeah. So... Um... You know, what are you uh, with all everything going on right now, Brandon? You know, we hear a lot about numbers, viewership, ticket numbers. Do you think that all of this attention on the pro wrestling business is any part of this bad for WWE or is all of this just good for everybody? Everything going on right now with the competition and, and everything going on in wrestling? I think it's WWE's popularity and a lot of their metrics since the return to touring have been pretty strong. And that I think that's also the time where where AEW has been doing better too. Um, you know, I've, I've seen a couple of articles about like, is is this the next boom period? Is is the, is the business heating up? Um, I, I'm kind of skeptical that that it's that it's really heating up into a boom period. But it's there's been a rise in interest with the return to fans. You know, it's it's not been that much fun to watch wrestling with no fans for a year and a half or so. So it's sure. been a relief to, to see everything back and. And I, I, I find it's, it's exciting to see what's, what AEW is going to evolve into in this environment where now there's actual fans and it, it's kind of easier to get stars over when you've got actual people to, to react to them organically. But, but WWE is doing, doing real well. Uh, their TV ratings and a lot of year-over-year comparisons for Raw and SmackDown are higher than they were last year. And you know, we're, we're doing comparisons to now like 2020 where part of this is in, in the, the PC era, part of it's in the early um, Thunderdome era. But their their ratings are are pretty strong and, and stronger than I thought they were going to be for this long. I, I figured you know you get a short term boost in TV ratings because people are excited to see what it's like back in arenas again, and then it would level off. But it really hasn't. Uh, Raw and SmackDown have have done uh, significantly better than they were doing in the final days of the Thunderdome for sure, and their their attendance is strong. So and uh, from an overall financial point of view, of course, you know WWE is more profitable now than than ever, even adjusting for inflation just because of the nature of, of the media environment that they're in, uh, which is driving huge TV rights fees for them. Um, but no, the, the business is, is pretty healthy and it's an exciting time, I think, to be a wrestling fan and, and to be a wrestler. Hey, Brandon, you know, and Nick, when, when you were asking about, you know, talking about the boom period, like, is this a wrestling boom? And like, when you compare it to the, to the late nineties boom, like things just boom, like, things just heated up so quick back then. Uh, and like, I just, it, like if you compare it right now to then it's, it, I, don't, I don't think it's a fair comparison, but like, it seems to me like it's like a boom is happening. It's just, it's, it's a lot slower, a lot more gradual rise, you know? And I think that's probably better, man. Like when you go up that fast, you usually come down that fast too. So uh, with you, Sean, do you think that boom started with the outsiders? Is that when the boom began for you? You think when Scott and Kev decided? Yes. To show- yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause that, that was you- the, when Scott showed up on nitro that to me, that was the beginning of that. Cause how long had nitro been on TV at that point? Was it a year, year and a half? Like how long had nitro been on TV before the Scott Kev moment happened? I'm trying to think that maybe, you know, Brandon. So maybe it was less a than a before- year. Was it less than a year? September okay. 1995 yeah. is when Nitro debuts and, and Scott Hall comes out on Nitro like May 96, right? Yeah, because like what I'm getting at is like you can have that comp- competition, but it just takes the right thing, right? You know, I think yeah. a lot of people thought Punk was going to be that thing, but how has the Punk bump been in your opinion, Brandon? Have we seen 
a real increase for AEW with with CM Punk coming in? Yeah, um, we've seen an increase in, at least in, in the short term. In the short term, on the TV ratings were huge. Um, the, the the second Rampage did a huge rating. Um, the first Dynamite with him did a pretty big rating, and I think he's there's a sustained increase in Dynamite ratings, partly because he's there. Um, and and uh, there's there's kind of a, a tandem effect where they've they've debuted Punk and then they debuted um Brian and and Adam Cole. Um, so there's there's a lot of big things happening in succession here. So I think that's that's all sort of a, a an effect in concert. Um, but you know, I've, according to Chris Harrington on, on Twitter uh, a week or two ago, he said, "Yeah, there's at least six categories." He says that that CM Punk is positively affecting, and you know, the, we had the pay per view. The pay per view is reportedly over two hundred thousand buys, and that's according to Tony Khan. That's by far their biggest ever, uh, by by probably fifty thousand or so. Uh, so I think they're, they're doing well. I, th- I think like if we think about it in, in terms of, uh, how, how does it compare to other booms or increases in, in, in business in history? I think it's maybe more comparable, maybe both W and AEW here, but more, more comparable to just the rise that we've seen in new Japan. Uh, not, not even thinking globally, but at least domestically since like 2012 to the end of the decade where they just sort of gradually rose up and you, they, you know, Gato became the booker and Hiroshi Tanahashi became a big star that carried the company and they got Okada in there and created another star. It wasn't um, a huge explosion of business from one year to the next, but it was a gradual increase uh, in, in collection of stars. So I think that's, I don't know who the stars are right now, but that it, in terms of a trend, that's more what it feels like. Hey, can we talk about merchandising and licensing and stuff? Absolutely. Like, we can try. <laughs> yeah. How like, do, do you, like you know, at Wrestle at WrestleNomics, do you follow that stuff closely too? Yeah, like it's it's how all hard depend- is it? It's all dependent on how much public information is out yeah. there. So WWE is obviously a publicly traded company, but unfortunately, that doesn't mean that we get to know every piece of information that we wish we knew. They report their their e-commerce sales, which is their online merchandise sales in in a, in a line. They report their venue venue merchandise sales, which are obviously the the merch that's sold at events. We don't get to know like how how much is Roman Reigns selling or who's the who's the leading merchandise seller. Right. So unfortunately, it's not broken down in that detail. I, I can only really speculate about like who the top merch sellers are. There, there's there's little clues you get. Like I, I would just go to suggest go if you want to know who the top merch sellers are, go to go to W Shop and look at who who are the top fi- people that they're advertising as far as people whose merchandise you can buy, or even if on the below WWE level if you go to pro wrestling tees and i think they do have a sort that you can do by mm-hmm. by best-selling items um the Brody lee shirt you know after he unfortunately passed away sold right. extremely well and the cm punk shirts have reportedly sold sold really well since his return um but yeah any any merch questions i'll do my best do you do you get access to uh i know there's a list that goes out i believe quarterly to the different licensing vendors about which stars to focus on uh each quarter um i don't know if you have access to any kind of information like that i think i would love to see it though if anybody wants to pass along to me put it out there right it's like the The, the reason why i asked that was because like back when in the attitude era when like merch was just like merch in the live event like we were doing like 13 14 dollars a head back then in like the late 90s which apparently was just ridiculously especially for that time Yeah. yeah um so we don't have a full quarter of, of live events yet that they've reported on. We are almost at the end of Q3. So they'll, they'll report about a month after that. So around Halloween time will be the next report that we'll get some information. But they do tell us uh, the average 
venue merch uh, revenue per capita. So basically per, per head, which is the number that you just described. Right. Um, and it's about $10 in today's dollars. You know, so if it was like 13 in 1999 or something, you can imagine what the difference was there in, in wow. today's dollars. Um, but yeah, $10 is about standard. And I would imagine it's, it's bigger for pay-per-views and maybe a little bigger for TV tapings. So yeah. Huh. I just got a, I just got my merch. Like, like, have you ever seen one of the, the things they send the talent, like with all the merchandise sales? Holy shit, man. Yeah. It's why don't man, you, put you get a headache? Up. Why don't you put yours up on camera right now, Sean? I don't know. Can, these are your royalties, right? Oh, this oh, is, no. this. I don't have it handy, but yeah, I just got one. I, I love that. He was, I love that. He was willing to do it though. That was yeah. incredible. You know? I, my merch checks have been pretty good lately. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> well, it was just NWO week, man. You right. know that was a, that was a big chunk of merch that went out there. Uh, well, Brandon, uh, I want to thank you so much. You you have to come back. There's always more business to go on. We'd love you to be a regular. When uh, where where can people go to find more about you and WrestleNomics and support the whole brand and everything? For sure. I, there's WrestleNomics.com. You can probably start there and get a lot of information about what's going on. We have we have written articles and a lot of summaries of, of what's going on in the podcast and things like that. But I do a podcast in, in your regular podcast feed for free. Yeah. Uh, that comes out every Sunday or Monday. Uh, just search for WrestleNomics Radio. Wow. Uh, I do a on YouTube live just after the the Dynamite number comes out because that's, that's where all the, the activity is. But at 5.30 Eastern, I've been doing a weekly live TV ratings talk with, with charts in the background and, and so forth. You can check that out. And I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash WrestleNomics, where for $5 a month, you can get my, just about every weekday, there's a TV rating to report because that's that's the world we live in now. And uh, you also get access to the WrestleNomics viewership spreadsheet, which is the, the spreadsheet that I use. If you want to like, dig through the numbers yourself and, and look at it for yourself and figure out what's going on, this is the spreadsheet that I use that's got data going back to 2014 across wow. various demos. So, wow. Hey, did the, did the raw numbers come in yet while you've been talking to us? I'm, I'm looking, and we've got uh, – they're broken up in three hours. We look like it ranked number seven with uh, the highest – hour which was eight o'clock at 1.8 million viewers and a wow. four nine in the demo that'll when you average that together it's going to be lower but uh okay. yeah oh man i'm pulling it up here right now as well showbuzz like showbuzz Show Show daily has it yeah 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 sure <laughs> yeah what a nightmare when that went away for a half second remember that yeah i i had to i had to work sources and everything <laughs> no average under I two average I under two average under two million man i don't know i guess i'm a little yeah. surprised by that retention know. at least in total viewership doesn't look that strong for the third hour it looks like it went from 1.8 to 1.6 for the third hour but, that's a bad number for raw um i i think this is an okay number this isn't that high or below what my mm. expectations would be because i like i enjoyed the show i wonder what was going on last night football obviously yeah, they've been, um, been against football and they're going to be against yeah. football until january 3rd but uh it's not like it's it it ranked above everything except for what was on ESPN, which is football and things before and after football. So All right, that's, that's what it usually is. Cool. Well, thank you, Brandon. Really appreciate you dropping by. And again, we will absolutely have you back, man. This is awesome. a wonderful. Yeah, thank you. I both. appreciate it, Brandon. Thank you so much, man. My pleasure. Great to talk to you guys. You take too. care, brother. Bye. Okay. All right, everyone. That's it for this week's episode of Pro Wrestling for Life. Want to thank Paul Walter Hauser. I want to thank Brandon Thurston from WrestleNomics. Who else? Uh, no, that's it. That's everybody for this week. I do want to say thank you to Jesse Baker. We were going to do a game show segment this week, but we just didn't have the time to fit it in. But uh, next week, I promise you, we're bringing back the game show segment. It's going to be Sean, 
one-on-one uh, against a Pro Wrestling for Life fan. And we're going to start sourcing the game show contestants from our social media. So if you want to engage the show, at Pro Rest for Life over on Twitter. And, of course, if you want to show us support, you could buy a T-shirt, Pro Wrestling Tea Store, or leave a nice comment or rating over on our iTunes page. Uh, I'm at Nick underscore Houseman. Come hang out with me. Replay Lincoln Park this Monday night. I'm hosting an official WWE draft party. WWE sending me a ton of swag, a ton of merchandise. It's free to attend. If you come up and you say, hey, I love Pro Wrestling for Life, I'll probably give you a hat and a shirt. You know, it's that simple. So. Cool. All right. Anything you want to put over? Not really. I just appreciate everyone tuning in. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate the work you do. So, um, yeah, and we'll see you all next week.